Welcome and hear, hear. This is Hear, Hear, my audiobook podcast. I'm Dan Masterton, and I'm reading to you from my fiction story, What There Is to Be Done. I'm excited to share this with you one chapter at a time. If you're interested in getting your hands on a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. If you're interested in reaching out, I'd love to hear from you. Find me on Twitter at thisladdan, or drop an email to dmastert at alumni.nd.edu. All right, you hit play, so it's time to hear here. If you're driving or running or working, I'm glad to be along with you. Maybe grab a drink later? If you're somewhere safe, raise a glass and toast a blessing to our Catholic schools, our students and teachers, and our imperfect but faithful endeavor to teach the faith. I'll join you. Here, here. Cheers and enjoy. Just two preps this year, and four out of my five sections are AP U.S. history, Teresa told her friend over the phone as they wrapped up their conversation. She was driving into work at her teaching job. Teresa was a social studies teacher at a suburban Midwestern Catholic high school. Mary Mother of God Catholic High School was a mouthful, and it sort of doubled as a religious expletive for those who might take Mary's name in vain. Teresa also had mixed feelings about the sports teams being named the Theotokos, or Theotokosis. For those who didn't know Greek or didn't reach university-level theology, it was a confusing and hard-to-pronounce word. For those who liked sports and rooting for high school teams, it was sort of silly. If I ever get into the administration, I might have to go after that name, Teresa thought. She briefly laughed about how addled the word handmade had become in mainstream culture, chuckling about what Mary in heaven thinks, or doesn't think, of all that nonsense, and resolved instead on a better moniker. We should be the prophets. Man, could a student section have fun with that one. Teresa imagined one of her favorite juniors brazenly shouting at the visiting team before a basketball game. God called us to victory. She visualized seniors handing out signs in the student section saying things like, God has great plans for this team, plans for our welfare and not for woe, or thou shalt not steal except our defense. For now, it was another season of Friday Night Lights where the mighty Theotokos would tokos the field. She pulled into the parking lot at 7.30 a.m. The campus was a welcome departure from the city school she had taught at years ago during her postgrad service and she felt that way about the grounds, not the students. The big slice of land in the suburbs meant a faculty parking lot and a mega lot for the students, on-site fields for most of the sports teams, a school with plenty of rooms and lockers and offices and departmental lounges for the teachers and their desks, and most every basic need the school community had, even if a bit dated to its establishment and construction back in the 1980s. The big difference was definitely the student body. Working at a Catholic school in the city brought a lot more diversity into the classrooms and hallways. A higher percentage of the students were non-Catholic, though many of them were non-Catholic Christians, and the students weren't dripping with white entitlement. Yes, they needed more one-on-one support and even some helicoptering, but their progress and responsiveness were what got you out of bed in the morning and kept you coming back. Luckily, Teresa had landed this job in a region of the suburbs that was not quite as white as the, in retrospect, pretty homogenous and fairly sheltered town where she grew up. It felt like a good fit to land at this school. Maybe she could be making more money at some prestigious private high school, and she'd have no problem being an agitator and challenger to the potentially deeper privilege of those students, but she was glad to be where she was. 
Arriving at 7.30 a.m. for an 8 a.m. pre-school year meeting was a strategic choice. Teresa liked to walk in while foot traffic was still a bit lighter. Many of her colleagues preferred that 7.55 rush when you juggle all your crap climbing out of your car and dash into the school cafeteria alongside a few dozen other stragglers to claim your seat for the day. For Teresa, the chance to say just a few hellos on her way from her car to the social studies departmental office was the way to go. It's not that she wasn't a morning person. It's not that she isn't relatively extroverted, especially as a teacher. Teresa just wasn't so bubbly and outgoing that she wanted to be on from the moment she pulled in. With her preferred timing, she could give the friendly nod to the buildings and ground staffers and receptionists and maybe have a quick chat to another teacher or two and make her way to her desk to get her bearings for another day. Today's 8 a.m. start marked the beginning of the end of new school year prep. The faculty and staff had weathered a week's worth of meetings on introductions of new hires, discussion of new school-wide policies, department-level conversations, and some prep time for themselves. Now today, Friday, felt like the welcome end of a grinding return to 40-plus hour weeks with the arrival of freshmen for orientation and the first full day of classes looming on the other side of one last weekend of rest. The schedule was lighter for this last day. The rhythm of 8 a.m. to 3 p.m. meetings now gave way to today's wrap-up session. Just two hours for the principal and leadership to make their final cases before the chaplain and campus ministers took over for an hour of spiritual reflection and a commissioning mass. Then it was lunch and happy hour when the administrators donned their pun-embroidered aprons and tend the grills in the school parking lot when teachers sip cheap beers and commence the annual choruses of bitching over games of inevitably under-competitive bags. Teresa walked into the social studies office at 7.32 a.m., feeling on point for this last day before the big days ahead. She set down her travel coffee cup on her desk and dropped her teacher bag on the floor next to her desk drawers. Teresa plopped down in her comfy but definitely rickety, janky teacher chair and surveyed what she hoped would remain her clean and orderly desk. The top left corner was prepared for five sections of history classes, highlighted by a cascading plastic organizing divider that held five pairs of file folders, each pair with a folder for submitted work and another for graded assignments. Beside them at the top middle of the desk were stacks of paper syllabuses, enough for the half of students who opted out of in-class personal device use in favor of pens and paper. Each stack turned at a 90-degree angle to the one beneath it to demarcate pre-counted quantities for each group she'd greet next week. At the top right, an impossibly jam-packed mug brimmed with pens, pencils, highlighters, and sharpies, a mild outlier of slight chaos alongside the adjacent organization. And in front of the mug was a simple 5 by 7 frame standing the tall way with a picture of her and her husband John on their wedding day just over a year ago. That picture was a good fit amid the 90-10 organization-to-chaos ratio beside it for they had a sturdy, mostly functional relationship that upheld them and made them both feel strong and supported, but came with the newly emerging uncertainty of wanting to start their family. Teresa reached down to grab her planner, a personal haven that would nudge the organization to chaos ratio further in the positive direction when she placed it on her desk. As she flipped open to the current week, wanting to think through the first days of classes, a voice broke in, but before he could ask half his question, Teresa interrupted him. How long have you been sitting there? The whole time? The whole time, Mike said. Teresa exhaled and smiled. Micah Solomon just went by Mike. He was often there before Teresa, and she often failed to notice his quiet presence. Just a few years older and a few years more experienced than Teresa, 
Mike went right from undergrad into teaching and had pretty quickly become department chair for Our Lady's Social Studies Department. Managing a team of 10 or so social studies teachers, Mr. Solomon managed the juggle with a fair amount of grace, and his calm demeanor and dry casual wit made him a regular confidant and favorite support of Teresa's. Can you see my calendar colors from there? Teresa asked from her desk by the doorway. I believe I see AP US history blue, just as promised. Mike replied from his chairperson's desk at the rear center of the large room, about where a king might sit as he held court. I swear I was going to review my plans for week one. I swear I wasn't just admiring my color scheme and formatting. I swear Mike cut her off. Okay, sure. In earlier days, sometimes Mike's tone was a bit too tactless, and Teresa wondered if he was funny, an asshole, or maybe an indeterminate combination of the two. Turns out it was the latter, and ultimately at a reasonable ratio. To Teresa, Mike was ultimately somewhere between an older cousin and a college housemate. A little edgy, a bit cagey, a lot goofy, but almost always genuine and friendly. In this case, Mike knew the look on Teresa's face quite well. A look that said, even though I made this design weeks ago and have looked at it many times, looking at it again still brings me fresh and significant pleasure. We'll get you back to the book shortly, but first, do you love a thoroughly incensed church sanctuary but struggle to get around the whole altar quickly and smoothly? Enter Plumba, the liturgical robot that's always laying prostrate. Fill that thurible up, get it smoking, and hang it on the robotic vacuum. Plumba does the rest. The air around the altar will fill with plumes of holy smoke in no time. A few hands short for your procession, Plumba can keep pace with your celebrant and servers and leave a trail of smoke like they're sprinting up the aisle. The sacramental quality of the air will never be greater. Plumba, the robot worship aid. I'm not on Instagram, and I'm a selective poster and moderate lurker on Facebook where I share the Restless Heart blog posts, but I'm most active on Twitter where I actually really enjoy the Catholic presence of many thoughtful and faithful people. I want to recommend a few of my favorite follows to you here. This week, I invite you to follow Melissa Cedillo. Melissa tweets at melissann19, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-N-N-1-9. Melissa was recently selected for a one-year fellowship with the National Catholic Reporter's new Latino Catholics Project, which involves regular coverage of Hispanic and Latinx Catholics, as well as research, analysis, and engagement outreach. She studied undergrad theology at Loyola Marymount University and earned a master's from Harvard Divinity School. Her thoughtfulness, her heart and eyes for justice and equity, and her commitment to the faith make her a must-follow, and her new role at NCR will lead to her sharing even more formative content. Follow Melissa Cedillo on Twitter at melissann19, M-E-L-I-S-S-A-N-N-1-9. This was the year where the stars had aligned for Teresa to take a next little step forward in her professional goals. Many, if not most, high school social studies teachers hoped to one day teach AP U.S. history, and Teresa had that hope for herself. For her first few years, she got a little of the whipping boy treatment, as the low people on the departmental totem poles usually have to, dealing with the least desired classes and the most preps, which often weren't the same preps as the year before. Teresa weathered the three-prep storm for years and honed her craft while she bided her time. Well, last spring, old Mr. Spitter whose age led some to believe he was an eyewitness to the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand, 
and or the newspaper editor who published Dewey Defeats Truman, called it a career. AP US history needed a new teacher and a breath of fresh air. Mike scanned his bench of teachers and decided Teresa had the expertise and experience and drive to take it on. They set her up with the right materials, professional development registrations, summer break be damned, and access to the class materials. She got moving quickly, lining things up for an exciting new year. But of course, it couldn't all come out roses. The incoming freshman class was bigger than expected, and she got stuck with one section of those youngins. She was happy to roll with that one punch. Only two preps. Mike and Teresa chatted for a minute before agreeing to gather their stuff and get down to the cafeteria for a decent seat at the tables. While the scene at these meetings isn't quite as complex and stratified as this lunchroom and Mean Girls, anyone who thinks there isn't stature and cliques and bits of class warfare in these unassigned seats is nuts. The delineations aren't as clean, and there are definitely some strange bedfellows. The older teachers who have checked out and perennially make copies of the same worksheet they used in 1987 make surprisingly natural friends to new grads who went into teaching without really knowing why. The younger veteran teachers who work 70 to 80 hours a week and obsess, often authentically, over the best interests of their students are a good fit with the younger veteran teachers who work 39 hours a week, cut close up against every corner, and give an often unconvincing appearance that they are obsessed with the students' best interests. Teresa, well, she's a bit harder to pin down walking into a crowded room. A friend in college had an unusual approach, which Teresa had adopted. In group situations, especially for meals, her friend would always choose to sit at an empty or nearly empty table and let the seats around him fill in how they might. She decided she'd let herself have a buddy or two in this practice, but generally tried to stick to the idea now in professional situations. Some mornings Mike would roll with her on this, other mornings he'd pretend to follow her lead and then choose a stealthy moment to leave her hanging. On this last day of meetings, Mike didn't have the energy to be slippery. They made their way toward the middle front of what had become a gathering of dozens and laid claim to a pair of seats. The seats around them filled in with a mix of socially outgoing early arrivers and others who straggled in had no choice but to plop down in one of the empty seats closer to the front. The chit-chat before the start of the meetings was maybe a little less smooth than it might have been at a table full of teachers who Teresa knew well, or amid a group of Brothers in the Trenches social studies teachers, but that sort of gentle tension and mild social challenge suited her. The balance of the week's meetings didn't reveal many surprises or new causes for fresh rancor, and the first two hours of that Friday ticked away with relative ease. A few minutes before 10 o'clock, the admin team yielded the floor to the faith formation team, and just in time, too, as some of the faculty were close to turning the tail end of the session into a runaway train of well-intended but complicated and largely unnecessary questions. The chaplain asked the teachers to take a stretch and bathroom break, but stay close so they could resume at 10 o'clock. The mood of the room shifted a bit as the flavor of angst transitioned from one of the usual teacher scuttlebutt, about classroom policies, discipline, and staffing, to that of mild discomfort and feigned inconvenience over enduring spiritual formation. Ah, I'm slammed, sorry. Just let me plan on my own in my room. Mass again? All on the cusp of a school year. Teresa appreciated the slot the formation team was given, and frankly, she quietly would have preferred that they get a whole morning or a whole day, but this was a mildly unpopular opinion she expressed only occasionally. Having grown up in a Catholic family and then having graduated from an all-girls Ursuline school, she was comfortable with the faith formation that threaded through her life and fueled her to choose Marquette University for her undergrad degree. The influence of the sisters, the Jesuits, and her parish and family life, it all laid positive groundwork for her, and her own discernment through high school and college was consistently strong and thoughtful, even as it always pointed towards marriage and family rather than religious life. 
These bits of formation during her professional life felt more like a recharging opportunity than an imposition, and she was grateful for the slot it was given within this hectic week. Teresa was noodling through some emails on her phone during the stretch break as Father James started to quiet everyone down. A full load of teaching was certainly enough to juggle for a faculty member, but Teresa, a definite gym class hero slash overachiever slash jack-of-all-trades and master of none, couldn't resist tacking on the mantle of moderator. Over her years in the school, she had taken the plunge into leading the student yearbook crew, assisting with theater performances, just tech weeks and performances, thank God, and had certainly gone on her share of retreats and supported plenty of student leadership formation for retreats. This is all neglecting to mention her mostly secret plan to implement a house system at the school that would turn student council, blah, class versus class rivalries, double blah, and the lingering vestiges of old hazing, full vomit, all on its head. The social studies department and her classes shouldn't and didn't have a monopoly on her time and attention, and that's the way she liked it. Moderating clubs brought in a few extra bucks, but she didn't do it for the money. In fact, calculating it to a per-hour rate was a bad idea. Rather, it was the chance to see and work with kids outside the classroom that kept her coming back. It made her a better teacher to know more sides of her students and their student life, and it may have even made them better students in her classes to know that she had a life beyond the rigid spines and hardcovers of history textbooks. Meanwhile, their diocesan priest and school chaplain had taken his place at the front of the room as two campus ministers did some setup to get his PowerPoint and sound going. Father James mainly worked at a parish, a nearby church with an elementary school and religious ed program that fed pretty healthily into the high school. He helped at Mary Mother of God by celebrating masses, sitting on the school's board, and helping with formation. So after the year got started, he'd really only be seen every week or two. The ones who made the ministry trains run on time were Pete and Jess. They were full-time at the school and each taught one class, while holding down all the retreats, service, and liturgy, as well as faculty formation. Mike and Teresa were a bit more familiar with Jess, whose one class was a World Religions elective housed in their department. She'd sit in on their meetings occasionally and had to run her curriculum and plans through Mike. Pete offered a spirituality elective in theology that surveyed mainly religious communities' charisms, various prayer styles, and some other spiritual enrichment topics. Father James was more of a frontman, and he knew he played in front of a strong band. After some ceremonial welcomes and words of gratitude to a faculty called to service and ministry, Father James handed the mic to Pete and Jess. Teresa was excited and intrigued. She liked Jess and Pete and knew they'd have something accessible and thoughtful queued up. As it turned out, they would invite everyone to re-examine and renew their vocational discernment. Jess spoke first. I know during my college years and now as an adult, it's been huge to have friends and family and coworkers who talk about discernment and vocation and to have easy access to resources that can help me pray well. Sometimes, though, it can get to be too much noise, too many cooks in my spiritual kitchen, Jess said. As much as I love being immersed in a church that lifts up the idea of call, for me, I can get overwhelmed by all the ideas and either over-obsess on it for periods of time or otherwise totally check out. And I know neither of those are ideal. Now that I'm into a career of ministry, into a marriage, and into parenthood, there's different, sometimes new questions that I may need to ask. And I have to learn how to find them without sprinting all out or sitting back and unplugging completely. I need a steadier, simpler middle ground, she explained. For me, this quote helps me reground and resimplify. Pete advanced the slides to reveal the next one. Jess read, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Frederick Buchner. Jess let it breathe for a moment, and then she yielded the floor to Pete to bring it home. Mike seemed a bit indifferent. 
Teresa quietly inched toward the edge of her seat. She was already pretty locked in, and now she was even feeling a little fired up. Pete started. When I was younger, a few male friends and I realized that most any faithful, faith-filled, mass-going young man gets more than a few glances from priests, ministry leaders, and others who wonder, either privately or to his face, if he might consider the priesthood. In many ways, it's unfair. Unfair to the women and to the married or marriage-discerning men who have similar gifts but wouldn't be considered this way. Unfair to those young men who may feel strong inclinations toward other careers and other states of life. Yet, we talked our way to sort of a peaceful, detached agreement, that it's a vaguely reasonable challenge to put to a young man's maturing faith, and one that can be confronted and considered the right way, with good formation, good community, and good prayer around you to help you sort it out. Looking back on that handful of us, the other four guys are married, and my answer then and now was simply, I don't know. The one thing I did know is that questions of discernment and vocation can't be answered with negatives. We can't make decisions on how to move forward by trying to act opposite of weaknesses or deficits. No one should go into priesthood or religious life just because they've struggled in romantic relationships, and we certainly hope people don't just teach because another career wasn't a good fit. Figuring out where God is inviting you has to be about identifying your joys and passions and following them to the place where they can meet the needs of the world and your community. Teresa was feeling pretty seen. In a lot of ways, her little career bump was a response to these ideals. Her favorite class from high school was AP U.S. History, and the teacher who taught it was her favorite. She didn't mind teaching government, world history, European history, etc., but there was something about the meat of U.S. history, the documents and DBQs, and the trajectory toward that big AP test and the chance for real durable college credit that really fired her up. She felt like she was a teacher for the middling students, and in AP class, she could really dig in with the kids who maybe fell more in the BC range, or even felt overmatched in AP class, and propel them toward fours and fives. She wasn't excited to teach APUSH just because she didn't like the others. It was a positive draw to APUSH, fueled by professional passions and particular gifts, and one that felt like a stepping stone on a longer journey of learning how to best serve the students in the school community. I don't want to make this about mere priesthood, so definitely chill, Father James, Pete continued. Father James had spaced out over some phone-based multitasking, so the hokey chuckles from the crowd that followed seemed in part for Pete's joke, as well as for James getting busted. I know I'm talking to a room full of teachers. I know you shoulder a happiness tax to teach at a Catholic school where you leave some earning power on the table. I know you see this as more than a job. So give yourself a chance at a fresh spin. Even if you're teaching the same class year after year, how can you rededicate, reprioritize, reframe? If you're on a new assignment, how can the new parameters create new space for you to see Christ in your students and be Christ for and with them? If you're feeling stagnant or thinking where there may be, what there may be for you in this work, in this ministry, then what if you named those feelings? No matter what lane you're in this year, make an explicit answer to this old question. Where do your gifts and passions meet the needs of these students? By this point, Teresa was scribbling feverishly. Good student, active in ministry, working in service, check. Striving to take full advantage of education classes and earn a degree with honors, check. Get a placement in a school where I can gain experience and track toward a teaching career, check. Find a Catholic high school where I can teach, grow, and get help paying for a master's, check. Check marks piled high down the left side of an increasingly filled page before Teresa. She could feel a raised eyebrow from the next chair over as Mike paid a reasonable amount of attention but withheld his enthusiasm, until he sensed the activity there to his right. Teresa added, earn the masters, 
put in my time with multiple preps and class changes, earn my A-push placement, and after she checked those, she finally stopped. She paused and thought, a bit frozen, almost as if she worried that someone might see what she wrote next and criticize her. But no one was watching. Even Mike had drifted back toward minimal generic attention to the front of the room. She drew a small horizontal line underneath a cascade of small lines now filled with check marks. And next to the last line, which would remain blank for now, she wrote, Become Director of Student Life. It felt bold to write, even as a silent prospect. Teresa quickly wondered if it was too much selfish ambition, too much careerism, too much antsiness, or if she had altruistic enough motivations behind it. For now, she just watched the ink dry on the last bold row of her list. Almost as if on cue, Pete continued, As you try to come up with a fresh answer for the question, we want to offer you Father Michael Himes' three questions and challenge you to bring them to prayer this morning in our Mass and throughout the coming months. Pete gestured to Jess, who revealed the final drop-the-mic slide. Jess read, 1. Does it bring you joy? 2. Are you good at it? 3. Does the world or community need it? Teresa copied down the questions underneath the bottom of her list and let her mind stew over them for a minute. Well, here's the way to vet this goal, she thought. A round of applause snapped her back to reality. Pete and Jess must have finished and thanked everyone. She began to clap along and gradually came out of her fog. This wasn't a fog of confusion and bewilderment. It felt like she had awoken from a good night's sleep. It was a welcome feeling. She had heard the Buchner quote before. She had read Himes's questions before. But not like this. Not in the place she had reached now. She gathered her things as the crowd moved to the chapel. And Teresa certainly had some questions and thoughts for Jesus. Well, that's all for this week. Remember, if you want to grab a paperback copy of the book, visit my link tree at linktr.ee slash danmasterton. That's l-i-n-k-t-r dot e-e slash danmasterton. Just follow the directions and complete the form, and I'll send your copy. You can also check out my other writing there. Finally, thank you for listening. May God bless you and all our Catholic school communities. And to you and your prayers and toasts, hear, hear. The guitar instrumentals on this podcast are improvised and performed by Jason Pham. This book and podcast are copyright Dan Masterton 2021, all rights reserved.